we come to the last of our studies that we will have at least for the foreseeable future regarding this interesting Old Testament character named Micah and his family and how he and his family became the starters of idolatry in Israel and what that means and how when we examine Micah and his family and his false worship how much we see it in our present day as well we'll read that first section from the sheet I've printed out for you to again reset the circumstances and the characters involved and then we'll take a look at the narrative and what we can learn from it there was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah and he said to his mother the 1100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and also spoke it in my ears behold the silver is with me I took it do you have any notion how much money that represents I did a quick calculation here a few moments ago I don't know the exact price of silver today Um, I used to know it but I don't know it now 1100 pieces of silver equates in this day somewhere around 10 million dollars that's a lot of money that's a lot of value that that young man stole from his mother and she chased him down I think she had a hunch (laughs) I think she had a hunch that son Micah I'll bet he has it and she uttered the curse loudly enough and in his presence so that he'd hear it and perhaps shake him to reality that she knew where it was and he restored it back to her his mother said I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image now therefore I will restore it to you so when he restored the money to his mother his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith (coughs) who made it into a carved image and a metal image and it was in the house of Micah and the man Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest isn't it interesting that this man thought that he could just design his own religion I'll take a little of this and a little of that and I'll have an ephod I'll have my own priest I'll have a shrine where I'll put all of these things together and mama didn't help him any mama saw what he was doing and she contributed to it she gave him money so that he could make some additional idols to put in his shrine not a good mother not a good mother contributing to the spiritual decay of her son and perhaps even grandchildren 
And we've looked at the idols that Micah had and that he worshipped. I want to concentrate today a little bit on one of the kinds of idols that he had in his home. They're called here in this passage the household gods. The household gods were carved images that represented family members who had died. And they worshipped these images, thinking that by worshipping these images and bringing before these images their concerns and desires for knowledge of the future, that the spirits of these dead family members would communicate to them through these household images. And thus they would get some direction from them, some advice and counsel as to how to live their lives. In that day, the household gods really only contributed a small portion to this kind of what I would call spiritualism. They had many other practices in the land of that day. For example, they would use the liver to help them discern the future. Now, obviously, it wasn't the liver of a living, healthy person. It was the liver of someone who had died. But they would consult the liver, and depending on the color of it and the shape of it, they would manufacture some kind of direction and wisdom and counsel for their lives. They also believed that the flight of birds would give some indication as to the future. Sometimes they even consulted what is called the the mixture of fluids, where they would pour certain concoctions together, and depending on how they would mix, would mean something to them. And they would somehow discern the future by examining these fluids. Another common practice consisted of astrology. Astrology is nothing new. We tend to think it's new. They consulted the signs of the stars centuries ago. Astrology, nothing more than horoscopes. And they would examine those and attempt to discern wisdom and direction for their lives. A last one I'll mention mention involved necromancy. I don't know if you know about necromancy. That involves the consulting of the dead. Trying to conjure up the spirit of the person who has died and calling upon that spirit to somehow come and give them counsel and wisdom and advice. All of these schemes had some similarities and some common aspects to them. All of them, for example, took them away from God and caused them to seek after false things in hopes of finding some direction. Spirits from the dead, wooden or metallic images, 
flights of birds all having to do with wizardry and all different kinds of divination they wanted to know about the future and have some counsel for their lives and rather than seek God they sought these false practices and not only did the nations in the land that the Israelites came to possess practice these things but throughout the nations of the earth at that time they practiced them and we know that because when Jacob in the book of Genesis and brought his family from Ur of the Chaldees, modern day Iran and Iraq and brought them back to the promised land one of his wives stole the household gods from her father so they were practicing these things for many years and Israel began to adopt them following the leadership and the initial example of Micah and his family and we see it throughout the history of Israel their constant battle with idol worship witches conjuring up spirits from the dead mediums worship of the stars and the moon and the sun it became a common practice in Israel as we contemplate the reality of Micah's religious practice we can get a bit of a glimpse into his character and to what kind of made him tick it shows to us his depravity we tend to think of depravity in terms of the example so vividly upon our minds today of this past week of the slaughter of innocent children certainly a depraved act and we tend to think that that is the only example of depravity when in reality that's just one example oh yes that describes a a depraved act of a depraved man but depravity includes far more than that and depravity properly describes Micah darkness of the mind he did not know God in fact he abandoned God he deserted God left him and chose to worship figures of his own imagination rather than worshiping the living God who had revealed himself to them on a mountain that shook with lightning and smoke and had come down by the pillar of fire upon the tabernacle that he knew existed in Shiloh and he abandoned all of that and chose instead to worship as a spiritualist we find in there 
blatant disobedience to God turning aside from what God had commanded and what God had said he had faith and sometimes we have the notion that we just got to have faith just have faith and we kind of use that as kind of like a mantra a common saying that we say to one another and we try to encourage oh just believe just have faith faith in what? faith in faith? faith in the ability of dumb idols to somehow speak to us? faith that the flight of birds can somehow direct us? or the other foolishness that Micah and his family practiced? Or you can have faith, but if you have faith in the wrong object, that faith is dead faith, worthless to you. It's only when you have faith in the true and living God that it begins to have some life-giving elements to it. Micah had faith. His family had faith, but they had placed their faith in dumb idols and not the true and living God. God had specifically told the children of Israel to destroy everything that they saw in the land that was of this nature. And I printed out a few select verses from the scriptures where God directed them to do exactly that because I want you to see it I want you to see that God specifically said do not practice that and he describes it and we'll read a few of those verses here that I've printed out for you for example We read in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. I mentioned a few moments ago how God came down upon the mountain and the mountain shook and there was fire and smoke upon the mountain. He spoke. And the people said that this voice thundered. They heard him. They heard his voice. And here's what he said. God spoke them and said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father's on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments this is the beginning where God spells out to them in kind of a general description no other gods except me no idols No figures of things in the heavens above or in the earth beneath or creatures about you or creatures that are in the water. No. Shall not worship them. Worship me. Now, a little farther on, in his 
declarations to the children of Israel through Moses, he begins to give more specific commands regarding this worship and the false worship that they would encounter in the promised land. Leviticus 19.31 says it this way, Do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out, and so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Mediums, those who purport to call up the spirit of the dead and talk to them on behalf of someone. God said, don't go to them. Don't go to those mediums. Don't seek counsel from spirits of the dead who can't speak to you anyway. Leviticus 20, a little more serious in his explanation to them. He says this, if a person turns to mediums and necromancers, whoring after them, I will set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. A man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Do you get a hint of the seriousness in the mind of God that he takes our worship of him? And that he wants it displayed towards no one else? And he spells it out clearly who they are that you might have a temptation to worship and follow? And he makes it so serious, in fact, that those of you who seek after them, they will be separated from the people. And those of you who practice as a medium or a necromancer, you shall be killed. The justice of God shown against rank unholiness. We read further in Deuteronomy chapter 18 a more clear description of the kinds of practices that God forbade. Listen as I read. When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. In that day, they had a practice, what they called offering to Moloch, M-O-L-E-C, a false god. And what they would do is they would sacrifice their children on an altar of fire to satisfy the god Moloch. And sometimes they had another practice where they would have two altars side by side ablaze. And it talks in other places about don't let your children pass through the fire. They had a practice of taking their children and passing them through the fire. The fire would be on both sides. There would be two altars and they'd be ablaze with fire and they would make their children pass in between those altars as somehow an appeasement to the God that they worshipped. God says don't do that. Don't do that. Anyone who practices divination, tells fortunes, or interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or a charmer, 
or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. A rather lengthy list, isn't it? Let me give you a list of some of the things that those words mean. They might not seem clear to you uh, from a Bible translation, but just to put it in more clear English, I'll, I'll explain to you what some of these practices involve. Witchcraft, omens, a charmer of spells, a necromancer, that's in the list, fortune telling, astrology, spiritism, soothsaying, magic, black magic especially. Those are all of the kinds of things that are described here. God says, these are an abomination to me. When you go into the land and you observe the people in the land practicing these things, read what he says. Whoever does these things, an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which are, you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. He said, worship me and me alone. And God makes it very clear that those who practice these things live under his curse live as an abomination to him and he judges them and he judges them severely oh it may appear for the time being that they have a measure of success and things seem to go along pretty well but they don't have God Oh, a sad condition indeed to lack the presence of God. And you think you are worshiping God by bowing to an idol or by seeking counsel from a medium or a fortune teller. God says, no, come to me, come to me. And we see in God's treatment of His people who followed after these gods His sovereignty because He withdrew from them as He said He would. I will become your enemy. I will withdraw from you and I will become your enemy. And we saw that repeatedly throughout the book of Judges in our study. we see the condition in Micah and his family and ultimately how it spread throughout all the nation of Israel their utter depravity their darkness of mind their departure from the true and living God and their walk in disobedience to his command And God has preserved for us and He preserved for the children of Israel centuries prior to us 
this vivid description to warn us. Don't live like that. See how I treated them? See how I judged them? See how desperately they needed me and they didn't turn to me? And used it as an opportunity to reveal to the people their desperate need of a Savior. And their desperate need of worshiping the true and the living God. Because God had promised to them, If you follow me and if you love me, I will clear the land for you. I will bless you in the land. It will be a fruitful land for you. And I will live among you and I will be your God and you will be my people and I will fellowship among you. And they threw that all aside to follow after spiritism. What does that have to do with you and me? It has everything to do with you and me. Because spiritism is alive and well in our day. Let me, let me remind you of some of the practices that we observe in our day, that we see, and people practice them. And sadly, some of us may practice them ourselves. We may not ever admit to that fact to others. Maybe we try to keep it in private so that we're the only ones who know, but we practice them. Let me read some of them to you. All having their roots in the spiritism practice of Micah and of those godless nations of that day. Astrology. It's called horoscopes. I won't ask you to raise your hand if you read your horoscope every day. But if you do, you're practicing an abomination to God. He said, don't do that. Worship me. If you have a question, come to me. If you don't know what to do about the future, come to me. I will guide you. I will direct you. Don't read horoscopes and astrology. Witches have become very prominent in our day. Seances where mediums hold on behalf of their duped clients supposed meetings between them and their loved ones who have died. No, it's not. No, it's not. The dead cannot speak to us. You're speaking to a devil, not the spirit of the one who has died. It's an abomination to God. Prominent in our day. Prominent in our day. Palmistry. Where you go to someone who will read the lines on your hand and tell you about your life. People follow that by the scores. I won't ask you to display to you. Have you been to someone who's read your palm? 
and you base your life upon what that person told you? How about Ouija boards? How about tarot cards? The example of Micah stands for us as an example as clear as today. And God's direction and counsel to the children of Israel on that day stands for you and me today as well. God said, don't do that. That's an abomination to me. Come to me. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Nothing as bondage to our minds and hearts as following after that which God has cursed. It's bondage. It's blindness. Because of the application of the example of Micah and its correlation to our day, we must heed the warning of God and His command. And we must turn from the practice of evil, of spiritism, and all of its manifestations and forms, and instead trust the provision He has made for people like you and me, His Son. He had promised them to Adam and Eve in the garden, and He had revealed over time to His people There is coming a prophet. There is coming one. A savior. He came. We celebrate it now at this Christmas season. And remember his birth. His entrance into humanity. And he came to become the savior that God provided for sinners like you and like me that we might know God through His Son, Jesus. And all who come to Him, the Bible tells us, will obtain eternal life. We will know God. And He will know us. And we will have fellowship with Him and communion with Him. And when things in life come that cause disruption and dismay and difficulty and hardship we have somewhere to turn not dumb idols not the so called spirits of the dead not a worthless flight of birds or the whimsy of tea leaves no we can turn to the true and the living God through Jesus his son 
and we must trust Him. We must trust Him, first of all, as our Savior, and turn to Him as our Savior, trusting nothing else. Turn to Him and trust Him. And then daily, trust Him as He works in our lives and as He, by His Holy Spirit, slowly, progressively changes us. The Bible describes it in this fashion. Old things pass away. All things become new. He changes us by the work of His Holy Spirit. Where has the Spirit of God spoken to you today? And perhaps identified in, in your life your failure to worship God and God alone. Maybe no one knows. Maybe you've done it in secret or you say, well, I've only done it once or twice. Uh, God doesn't say it's okay once or twice. He says there's no good nonce. Well, that's one of my words. <laughs> Not once. Not one time is it okay. And we need to turn from that. And we need to repent of it. And we need to come to God and trust Him exclusively. And He has promised to give us wisdom. A verse that I use daily. Daily. Frequently even during the day. If any man lack wisdom... Let a mask of God who giveth to all men liberally and he upbraideth not. In other words, when you come to God and you say, God, I need wisdom, he doesn't slap you across the hand. He doesn't give you the back of his hand across your face. He doesn't condemn you. He doesn't criticize you. He says, oh no, come to me. Come to me. I will give you the wisdom that you need. Comfort? He's described in the scriptures as the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our distresses. God calls upon us to come to Him and to come to Him through Jesus, His Son. For there is one God and one mediator between God and and man the man Christ Jesus Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the Father but by me I would encourage you come to Christ come to God through Christ and find his promises true in your life. Let's close with prayer.